I'd like to introduce the face story this morning. This is uh, Adam Cargill. Y'all make Adam feel welcome and give him a hand. Use this mic over here. Yeah, yeah. Good morning. Uh, when John called and asked me to do a face story on uh, financial peace, it was pretty easy for me to say, sure. Financial peace was something important to me and my wife, and I think it's important for everyone. Um, I, I, I didn't hesitate at all. Uh, financial peace is um, basically what it means, paying off all your bills and uh, having money to do what you want to. It's your money. You're not debted to anyone. Um, when me and my wife, uh, when, when the economy started getting bad, bills were getting tight, 
And uh, we were living check to check. And we started talking different ways about what we could do to help on our budget, cut ways. We were talking about it, and she kept talking about, well, let's maybe put the house on the market. Let's sell it. I said, no way. I said, I built this house. I was the contractor. I, you know, was here every day, put my blood and sweat into it. No, I don't want to sell the house. I kept putting that off. That, that was not a, that wasn't it. Well, then the financial peace class came up, and, and we were talking to Ron about it, and we said, hey, let's try that. And, you know, anything could help. Let's try to work on a budget. So we worked on it, and Dave Ramsey class is a real good class. Um, it teaches you different things. Some of the ways are, are easy. You're like, wow, you know, that's things I've already thought about. But other things are, are pretty good. But one of the most profound things that, that came up in the class on, I think, the fourth lesson in the class was talking about debt-to-income ratio, and one of the things was on mortgages, what you should spend on your mortgage for your income. We weren't too far off in our numbers, but um, after that class, before me and my wife already been praying about it, and after that class, we're on our way home, and I said, Lacey, I'm going to go tomorrow to a realtor, and I'm going to put our house on the market. And she, you know, we were been praying about it, so it wasn't really much to talk about. So the next day, the realtor came out there. We put the house on the market. Uh, Ten months later, we sold our house, and we bought another one in town. And the whole time, I was thinking, I'm never going to get a house just like the house I had. That house I designed, I love that house, but we bought a house in town that's the same size. I love this house even more. And through doing that, uh, in our monthly bills, just alone in moving houses and all the other expenses, we were able to save $1,600 a month. Um, and with that, Dave Ramsey teaches you a debt snowball where you pay off your debts and it just gets bigger and bigger. You pay off more debts. We're starting able to pay off all of our debts. Um, and before tithing was even a problem living check to check. But now we're able to tithe regularly. We're able to give our money back to God. And um, it's becoming easier. But you know, all things are easy as long as you have God on your side. As long as you just give everything to God, everything is easy. And um, I just want to leave you with this. Dave Ramsey's famous saying is, Live today like no one else, so one day you can live like no one else. So when the class, they just started class, I would advise everyone to take it. It's a real good class. Thank you. Good morning. While he's getting set up, I'm going to... Um, had a good meeting with some guys this weekend, and I read something that I'd read a million times but never really stuck with me. It was talking about worship. And, uh, and it was from the book of Amos, and Amos was talking about worship is creating a relationship with God. And I went, God, I never, I never got that. I mean, I, I, I guess I knew it. I just never sunk in. It was just an aha moment for me. Um, and this, so this morning, I was just, I was having my quiet time, and I call that worship. And uh, and I just sat back, and I mean, I paused for the longest time I may have ever paused in my life. It was so uncomfortable for me because yeah, I like to talk. And I just waited, and I listened to God, and I realized, man, I'm not having. I, I've never been having true worship in my quiet time or when I'm singing. I've never let God penetrate my heart. And um, as we sing this song, the song is sung in third person. Man, I just, everybody's coming here today and, and we're seeking true worship from God during this service in Sunday school. 
And as we pray, and as God is ministering to us right now, I mean, if you feel a need just to bow your head and pray and let God work through you, this song is sung from a, the vantage point of actually Jesus, as if he had wrote this song to you. So.
Thank you, Adam and uh, Michael and Wally, for leading us. Um, this morning, I, I'm going to return a little bit to uh, some theology that we didn't get to conclude last fall. And the question I wanted to ask this morning is, does the Christian life make a difference? Does it really make a difference being a Christian? Can you look at a Christian and tell that something is different about them? Or, or uh, is, there, is there a way we blend in so as not to offend anyone. Matthew five thirteen and through 17 talk about does the Christian faith make a difference or, or do Christians make a difference or does it make a difference to be a Christian if you want to call it that. Matthew five thirteen says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has lost its taste how shall its saltness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we come here today, we want to be the salt and light in the world. We want to make a difference. But in order for that to happen, we have to allow you to make a difference in our lives. We have to let you have control and dominion and lordship over every area of our lives. So when we come into contact with the world in different, different places, in different ways, we'll follow you instead of the world. And we'll do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's say, for example, I were to trot five people out here and tell you three of them are Christians, three of the five are Christians, two of them are not. And uh, let's say one of them is a young man with long hair and tattoos and earrings and another one is a, is a middle-aged woman, maybe, well, young, 30 years old, maybe three children. Uh, we have uh, maybe a, a bank officer and uh, maybe a retired gentleman and maybe a college professor. And I set those five people out in front of you and say, pick out the three Christians. Could you do it? Well, you'd look at the, the young guy with long hair and tattoos and, and earrings and probably give him the boot. Because of his appearance. Um, maybe the, the bank officer, you knew something about him. Maybe you saw him have some cocktails at a bank Christmas party one time. Um, maybe the, the college professor. Well, everybody knows that college professors are either skeptics or, or uh, atheists. <laughs> uh, 
the retired gentleman, maybe you knew something from his past. You know, maybe he was uh, kind of wild in his younger years. And, and the young woman, you know, 30 years old, three children, well, maybe she's a Shirley MacLaine New Ager, who knows? You know, so it's really hard to pick out three Christians out of a group of five because you can't distinguish them from their appearance or their age or their profession or their background, their past or their social life. None of those things you can really depict uh, or, or distinguish a Christian. So if you can't tell a Christian by their appearance or their past or their profession or their social life or any other number of distinctions, what difference does it make being a Christian? What difference do we make? What are we supposed to do as Christians? Well, I think there are three real good things about being Christians that make a difference in who we are. And those differences, real simple, we have as Christians, what sets us apart, what makes us different? We have a perfect moral standard, first of all. Secondly, we have forgiveness for the present. Thirdly, we have hope for the future. Those three things set Christians apart, and it makes the Christian faith different. The first thing I want to talk about is we have a perfect moral standard, and I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Matthew, or Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right there, we're saying that, that we have the Son of God, who is divine, but he is also a perfect moral being who is our Lord, who is our boss, if you want to use everyday language today. He is the revelation of God. He is the perfect moral standard. Our faith gives us that, and as far as I know, no other faith does. And that sets us apart in one way and makes us different. Several years ago, I did a sermon series, what was it called? Um... Uh, fresh encounters. And over here I had a, uh, like a, a beam and I had a plumb line. Do you remember that over here by the organ? There's a plumb line and I ran that plumb line because that plumb line we knew was straight. It was straight. And that's what Jesus is for us. He is the perfect moral criteria by which everything else we say and do is measured. He is the plumb line. Now, what has happened in society, and I think about this all the time because I see it happening, is we're like the frog in the kettle. You know what happens to the frog in the kettle, that old story? You heat it up a little bit at a time. You put some water, you put a frog in a, in a kettle of water, and you heat it up a little bit at a time, and he doesn't realize that eventually he's, he's boiling, basically, because cold-blooded, his temperature is like that of the outside. It just gets hotter and hotter, and he doesn't realize what's happening. Well, friends, as Christians, society is doing that to us. They are raising the temperature slowly, so slowly, so subtly that we don't often realize it. It's kind of like, you know, somebody you see every day, you don't notice changes, but if you hadn't seen them in 10 years, all of a sudden it's, whoa, what happened to you? And they're saying the same thing looking at you, probably. But, uh, You know, if you're in the middle of it, change is gradual and you don't always notice it. And that's what's happening. Society is, you know, that plumb line of Jesus is straight up and down, but society is slowly tilting that a little bit and we don't notice it until, lo and behold, we're way down here. We're way off 
kilter. We're way off the mark from where our plumb line, Jesus Christ, wants us to be. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Word of God, because that gives us the perfect moral standard by which we can measure everything else. People who don't understand the Christian faith think they can be good enough to go to heaven. See, the problem with that, the reason they think that is because they're about here and they're better than everybody that's down here. So what they're doing is comparing themselves to other people. And you think, well, I'm better than that person. There's a, there's a big balance with weights and measures in heaven. And if I'm better than half the people, then maybe my half's getting into heaven and their half is not. Well, I've got some bad news for you. God doesn't compare us to each other. Who does God compare us to? He compares us to Jesus. He compares us to Jesus Christ. And so there's none of us who are good enough to get into heaven on our own. And that's why Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. Does that make sense? That is so important that you hear that, because when we go out into into the community and witnessing, nine times out of ten, what we hear people saying is that they think they're good enough to go to heaven. Do you hear me? You aren't good enough to go to heaven by yourself, because God doesn't compare you to the next guy. He compares you to the perfect moral standard of Jesus Christ. None of us is good enough on our own. Jesus died to give us the opportunity to go to heaven. Well, some people will point out that other faiths had religious leaders and teachers, that Christianity is not all that unique. So I started thinking about that. Well, let's see. Muslims have Muhammad. He never claimed to be the son of God, and he wasn't. And, and, and frankly, he wasn't morally perfect either because he slaughtered most everybody in Mecca in order to make that his, the seat of his religion. So you can't really compare Muslim and Christianity. What about Confucius? Well, Confucius was wise, but he never died for anybody's sins, and he sure wasn't raised from the dead three days later. I guess the religion that's most to be pitied today are the New Agers, because they think all of us are gods. So really, there's no other religion, anything like Christianity, that has a perfect moral standard who is the revelation of God and the only perfect human being who ever lived. Because of that, we have a plumb line who's Jesus Christ. And that impacts every decision that you make. There was a man who had a pickup truck, and it was an old pickup truck, and he knew it and he wanted to sell it. Not Bill Hughes, but that truck was kind of like, kind of like Bill's truck. The only thing good about the truck was that the engine was fairly decent. So he, he, he advertises the truck and he sells it as is. This man buys it, and he comes back about two days later, and he said, you sold me a pile of junk. That engine blew up on the way home. Now, you're the man who sold the truck. What do you do? You sold it as is. Legally, you have no binding obligation. But you did imply that the engine was good, and it blew up. So the man thought about that for a while. What would you have done? What I heard he did was he ended up offering the man half his money back, which the man took gladly. Because the person who sold the truck 
was a Christian. And when you become a Christian, you can't just ask, what's the legal thing here or what can I get by with? You have to ask, what's the right thing to do? What would Jesus have me do? And that shades everything, every decision, every crossroads that you come to. Because we have a perfect moral standard that we follow. The second thing that we have, unlike other religions, is forgiveness. Now that's not a blank check that lets us get away with anything we want to. But it is a painful purchase made on the cross by the only sinless human being who ever lived. Now when you talk about forgiveness, you have to talk about sin. Because if you don't have sin, you don't need forgiveness. And there are a lot of people who don't like to talk about sin today. Matter of fact, you can turn on TV and you'll, you'll see a lot of folks, TV preachers, who will never refer to sin, never refer to cross, because surveys show them that that brings people down. And people don't want, they want to be encouraged, they want to be lifted up. So a lot of these guys just talk about the power of positive thinking, basically. But sin is real, even if it's not popular. Carl Menninger was a Christian psychiatrist. He wrote a little book called Whatever Happened to Sin? And he was pointing out the fact that people don't really talk about it much anymore because it does make us uncomfortable. But in his practice as a psychiatrist, he said that if he could convince people that their sins were forgiven, that 75% of his patients could leave the hospital because we have such problem carrying that burden of guilt. We have difficulty believing that anybody could love us so much that they could actually forgive us of our sins. Well, does that set Christianity apart? Yes, it does, because no other religion deals with the reality of sin and the need for forgiveness like our faith does. And so it makes us unique. God says, by believing in Jesus Christ... And confessing your sins to him, confessing means agreeing with him that your sins are wrong. Then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means you have a blank slate. You can start completely over. And only Christianity offers that. There is one little requirement, though, that we don't usually talk about when it comes to forgiveness of sins that is included in the Bible. And that is that God is willing to forgive us our sins, but he also requires us in doing so that we forgive each other. You know that little phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we kind of gloss over most of the time? It says, forgive us our trespasses, what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. I had a professor at seminary who said, if God forgives us, the way we forgive each other, he's not going to be very busy. (laughs) Because God links his forgiveness with our ability to forgive each other. And I think I've said before, that doesn't mean tit for tat. That doesn't mean if you forgive somebody a little sin or a little wrong, God forgives you a little sin. If you forgive somebody a big wrong, God forgives you a big sin. It doesn't work like that. But it's, it's an understanding of when you realize how much you have been forgiven by God, how can you not be forgiving toward others? Plain and simple. If you can't believe that God forgives you, 
then how are you ever going to be forgiving toward others? If you can't forgive others, then how can you receive forgiveness from God? Because forgiveness is not in your vocabulary. But when you, when you realize what God's done for you, how can you withhold that forgiveness from others? The Christian faith sets us apart because we have a moral standard, we have forgiveness of sins, and thirdly, we have hope in a future. We have hope for the life here today, and we have hope for the life to come. Now, some folks will criticize Christianity and say, you folks talk about heaven so much that it's just pie-in-the-sky religion, and that, that it's a heavenly religion that is of no earthly good. But I would say it's just the opposite. The fact that we have hope after this life makes it possible for us to have hope in this life. You see what I'm saying? Because we have something, you know, you might not think hope in the world to come is very important. Let me tell you something. One day it's going to be the most important thing in the world to you. And because we have hope in the life to come, we can have hope in the life right here and now. Because without hope today, life would be bleak and meaningless. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw one time. This man was sitting in a room on a box and there were two doors. One door said, do not enter. The other door said, do not exit. So what could he do? He couldn't go through either door and he was just sitting there. His situation was hopeless and that's the way it is for folks who don't believe in heaven and the hope that heaven affords. I read a story about a a small town up in New England. Um, They were going to build a dam downriver from them, and eventually it was going to flood the valley and flood this little town, and everybody in town was going to be relocated. So they knew that. And it was several years before the dam was built and before this small town where the valley would be flooded was relocated. And so what do you think happened in that town? It began, it was once a beautiful, quaint little village. Well, People quit painting their buildings. They quit fixing it up. And soon the whole town just looked like a deteriorated mess. Why? Because they didn't have any hope in the future. The the newscasters were interviewing one of the townspeople, and he said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no work in the present. That is exactly what heaven does for us. Because we have hope in the future we have hope in the present. If there's no hope, then things around us are going to fall into disrepair. Let me tell you, when I go into the funeral home, which I do very often, and and it's a Christian who's passed away, offering the hope of everlasting life and seeing that loved one again is crucial in that funeral message to bringing those grieving family members hope. But I can't imagine anything sadder than an atheist in the funeral home who's lost a loved one. Because they have nothing. Christian hope does not escape life. Christian hope helps us deal with the problems and difficulties in this life head on. So when we're sitting in that room, we don't have a door marked 
do not enter and one marked do not exit. We have a door that says entrance. We have a way out. And we have a way home. And that gives us hope. The Christian faith, I believe, makes a profound difference. It gives us a moral plumb line, Jesus Christ, to measure everything by. It gives us forgiveness that we desperately need for the present. It gives us hope for the future. And if we will allow those characteristics to transform us, (coughs) excuse me, then we can be a transforming influence in the world that God wants us to be. He wants us to be salt in a savorless society. He wants us to be light in a dark world. And that is what is out there, friends. And if you don't carry your salt out there, and if you don't carry your light out there, then you're just going to blend in, and you're going to be like the frog in the kettle as our culture veers further and further off course from Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to wake up and say, where did we go wrong? We failed to make the difference in the world, to be the transforming influence that God called us to be. So let's stand up where we are and offer a moral standard. Show people where they can find forgiveness and remind them of hope in the future. Because that's what makes our faith different. Shall we pray? Father, as we, as we come into this sanctuary, it's a great thing to come in here and worship and, and open up the Bible and, and study and think about it and talk about it. But if we don't carry it out beyond these four walls, then what good is it? God, you left us here to be salt and light. You asked us to go out into the world and make a difference. But in, in fear of, of not being politically correct, maybe offending someone, we go along with what society says and we're influenced by <laughs> commercials and reality TV and advertisers. And we think what we see on TV is what's normal. And slowly we're veering further and further away from the perfect moral plumb line, the standard of Jesus Christ. (coughs) Father, get us back on track and help us to know where we have strayed. Sensitize us, convict us to where we have fallen by the wayside. And help us get back up and stand in the straight and narrow that leads us to home. You've left us here for a reason. Help us justify that reason by being salt and light that you called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you need to be different. You need to be willing to say who you are and and why you are, what you believe and why you believe it. And part of that comes from standing before fellow believers and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of Him. 
and I want to stand publicly before you and I want to become a member of a church and be baptized as a public expression of my faith in Jesus. Maybe you have been worshiping here for a while and you've been seeking God's leadership and church membership and today he's leading you to join us as a family of faith. Maybe you need to rededicate your life and come forward and pray. Whatever decision, I'll be at the front to receive you and celebrate and counsel with you. So this is your opportunity. Let's come as we stand together and sing an invitational hymn.